Hello humans of triathlon and welcome to the Hot Podcast where we bring you the ordinary but extraordinary world of triathlon one human one story at a time with the aim to inspire and to celebrate this life-changing sport and its humans through real authentic raw and enjoyable conversations with triathletes from all around the globe and from all walks of life I'm Swapnil Chauhan here with my co-host Charles Hunk and Radmom Robin along with an amazing guest Humans of Triathlon brings you yet another fascinating real-life story. So far, we've discussed physical and mental challenges that our humans of triathlon have gone through at some point in their lives. And we've gone from classics such as bulimia, anorexia, mental health issues, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, all the way to something a bit more complex, you know, like fibromyalgia. But have you ever heard actually of Tourette's syndrome? Mm-hmm. So Tourette's syndrome is a highly misunderstood neuro- neurological condition that causes verbal and physical outbursts. Think about uh, sudden blinking, eye rolling, jumping, twirling, shoulders shrugging, tongue clicking, whistling, or even making animal sounds. Today's guest was diagnosed with the disease while in fifth grade, and to make matters worse, the medication he was given made him heavy and then he was rendered unable to read or write. Despite this, he managed somehow to develop his own alphabet, which got him from middle school all the way through college. But it was during his time in college where he met two people who, together with his aunt, would manage to change his life forever. Somehow, and against anyone's expectations, today's human of triathlon managed to finish seven marathons and two full Ironmans. Today, he has a Bachelor's of Dietetics and Nutrition. He's an NASM certified trainer and an Ironman certified coach. He has become a believer and a preacher in what he calls the six discipline rule. And his ultimate goal in life is to compete professionally at the Ironman World Championship in Kailua Kona. In his own words, life has a funny way of letting you succeed when you refuse to back down. Live from the land of Uncle Sam, Donald Trump, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and Miami Vice, the United States of America, please welcome to the hot, burning podcast, Mr. Kyle Hageman. Hello, Kyle. <laughs> Good to be here. Hey, Kyle. Hello. Well, are you ready to live up to that intro? <laughs> Definitely. I think it was a fantastic dictation, Charles. Thank you very much, Kyle. I was I was inspired. So yeah, yeah. Well, I posted your story on the page a few months ago, I think, and a few people commented and messaged me that it was probably one of the most powerful stories that we posted yet. So we had to get you on the podcast to hear more from you. So thank you for coming on. Thank you, Swap Neil. Now you've got me. <laughs> All right. So how about we start off? We always like to start off by going back to the past and into the person's childhood. So tell us a little bit about that. What was your childhood like? I was the oldest of three. I was born and raised in Long Island, New York. Nothing special. I mean, 
basic middle class family. They, my parents, um, stressed hard work, and but most importantly, um, uh, I was really inspired by my father. He was very much into fitness when I was growing up. Um, I remember vividly. Um, fitness was a large part of, you know, uh, of our upbringing. I would, he would basically do laps around the park. And I remember four laps was a full half marathon. I would get worried. He's like, no, no, Kyle, I'm going to do this. And I grew up watching him be really into that, into biking, not as much swimming, but I really had a passion for fitness and a, you know, a passion, just being around, just taking care of yourself and well-being. And that kind of sparked me. I, um, my hobbies when I was growing up, um, I like to read gigantic science fiction novels. I love science fiction. I love Star Wars. I love anime. <laughs> I'm pretty much a nerd. <laughs> and Great. I am a nerd. Let's get real. <laughs> but um, I love to play video games just like any other kid. I love to use my mind and my imagination. I would love to visualize. I would love to read those books and see myself there being those heroes and doing those cool things. I loved it. So that was kind of my upbringing. Yeah. And so as Charles mentioned, in fifth grade, you ended up being diagnosed with Tourette syndrome. So what is that? And how common is it? Because I haven't really heard about it before. Okay. So to start that, when I was, before I was diagnosed, I started displaying symptoms as early as I believe first grade or second grade, maybe even kindergarten, if I remember correctly. Um, and Tourette syndrome, um, you know, it's, it's back then it wasn't what it is now. People didn't understand as much, you know, uh, medicine and science have evolved so much to explain it, to understand it better. So back then it took some time to fully understand what I had. And then in fifth grade, when I was diagnosed, now you asked me, how rare is Tourette syndrome? For males, it's three times as, I believe the statistic is three times as likely, or maybe four times in males than females. I don't know why. It has to do with genetics. Ask DNA. And in terms of what I had, it started with Tourette's. I had ADHD. I had OCD. They were all very, very bad. They were very inhibitory. But what my Tourette's evolved into was more, it was called corpulalia, which means I would yell not so nice things and it became more misunderstood. I'd yell curses and things like that. And that's where I was really, I really met a lot of adversity there. So 10% of people that are born with Tourette's, that develop Tourette's, they develop corpulalia and echolalia, which is those vocalizations. Um, so my percentage of what I had, um, to further elaborate, I saw a doctor in the city, um, Dr. Glenn Hirsch. He was, he was the best doctor at the time um, with, um, with Tourette's and disorders like this. And he had told my parents that he had never seen a case as bad as mine, ever. Hmm. Wow, that had to be really tough at that age, especially. It was tough on everyone. You know, it's not just about me. It was tough on my family. You know, it was tough on my teachers. It was very difficult. Yes, Robin. How did they kind of, you know, walk you up to that point? I mean, I'm sure it must have been hard for them to even understand why why you were doing these things. And was there a period of time where they felt like you could control it or should control it? It seems like it'd be hard to, you know, distinguish from what somebody would call behavior or behavior issues or something. 
Well, sure. Um, the point it got to was I had, it's called a tick. When you exhibit emotion or a sound or it's a complex ticks, ticks, that's what they're called. T-I-C it's spelled. And I was exhibiting them for a while, but it was when they got very bad and very bad, meaning I would have this tick where I would pull on my hair and actually pulled a chunk of my hair out in the front. And that's where people were like, okay, you know, maybe we should check this out, you know, something and then different. Exactly. And I, uh, I was very hyperactive. I would, I would fidget a lot, you know, in my desk. I remember in fifth grade, you know, of course the teachers, they didn't fully understand, but they tried to accommodate. And I vividly remember this. I was, um, I was fidgeting so much throughout the school year, whatever the three semesters. And I remember by, I was fidgeting so much in my desk there and you get the same desk, at least I, that's how it is here. You, you have the same desk. You say, I don't know how it is in other countries. But um, you sit in the desk and, you know, that's your seat. So I had the same seat for the entirety of the year. And by the end of the year, I had literally worn a track. Like I literally wedged a chunk of the tile out from how much I was fidgeting. So it was really serious. Uh, wow. So how, how do you get through school? You said you developed an alphabet of your own. What, what is that? Uh, to be truthful... Uh, Swap Neil. Um, I didn't find out about that until later on. My aunt, who had helped me a lot when I was younger, too, she's like a second mother to me. My aunt Janine, she told me that, you know, I was younger and she said she was helping me with my schoolwork. And she told me, you know, what is that? You know, because it didn't look normal. I said, that's my alphabet. That's how I learn. And she explained to me that I had developed my own alphabet. I don't remember this, believe it or not, but I did do it. It happened. Hmm. And you know, I've used it all the way into college. Wow. So did you take your own notes in like this different thing and, and then you could read them? Well, in grade school, I had a very good memory. I would just remember everything. And that's how I would do very well on tests. In middle school, when I was on meds more, um, I had, it's called research, middle school and high school. I had what's called resource room where it's like you can go there and you have like a proctor with the test and they help read it to you. And you can have somebody take notes, like they would get notes for me. They tried to give me this little typewriter, but it didn't work. I couldn't focus enough. In college, though, it worked out perfectly. That's where I met my wonderful, beautiful wife, Courtney Hageman. And she actually took notes for me. And what was great about it is I went to a college called LIU University here in Long Island, and they had this program where if you were taking notes for somebody with disabilities, you got paid to do it. So she was like, oh, awesome. I take notes anyway. All I have to do is copy them and I get paid? So she was like thrilled. <laughs> it was pretty cool, actually. So, you know, you, you mentioned in your story that you didn't have too many friends growing up and you basically filled that void through running an exercise. So how did running come about? Was it from your dad itself? No, actually, he didn't teach me specifically. Um, he was very busy. He's a very successful architect, so he didn't really have time to teach me. But we later on in life, we did a lot of exercising together. But what happened was I was in, I remember it was high school, and I was so frustrated with being teased, you know, and about my weight, and, you know, just about, you know, like everything you could think of, you know. And I remember that I graduated grade school, and... I went into middle school, which was grade school then was sixth grade, middle school was seven and eight. And I was thinking to myself, oh, great, you know, 
it'll be a new start. Like no one will know I had it. You know, I was trying really hard not to let people know because I was embarrassed and everyone knew because everyone told everybody. I remember I was so angry about that because it wasn't fair, you know? And I remember I dealt with it for a good few months. And I remember in eighth grade or ninth grade, it was ninth grade when I realized in high school, once again, everyone said, oh, there's the guy you can make fun of. And I just had it. And I think it was about ninth grade. I just got out one night. I just ran and ran and ran. And I remember it was like I had my mother or somebody. It was my mother or my father. They drove me. And it was like 12 miles I ran. Just out of that, I just channeled my frustration into that. You know, because really all running is is raw energy. So I guess I just I was so angry. I was so frustrated. I wanted friends and I did it. And ever since then, I'm like, wow, this is awesome. I didn't know I could do this. You know, I didn't know this could help me with all my, you know, I, my Tourette's was easier to control at the time when I did that. And, you know, I, I was able to lose weight. I, it was hard to regulate it because the medicine made it impossible, but at least it was helping me. And from then on, I was in love. I mean, it was my best friend. It was, it was there for me when I had no one else. And as sad as that is, I'm grateful for that now, because no matter how hard the exercise I do in my training, I never hate it. I always love it because it goes back to that time. It was there for me when I had nothing. Yeah, I love how you you gravitated towards something more positive. Like some some people go down the negative path and you know go into drugs and alcohol and stuff, but you went into running. So that was pretty cool. Um, do you think your dad had something to do with that? Why do you think you didn't go towards something negative and use this running as a positive outlet instead? I don't know, honestly. I never really stopped to think about it. I mean, yes, saying my father might have been a catalyst, but honestly, I believe that it's just something that was in me. I mean, I am a very gifted runner. Um, I'm very grateful for that. And I believe I was born with the ability and I believe it just came out naturally in its due course. I don't think it was anything I really thought about, you know, I just got on and I did it, you know, yeah. it's so natural. I don't know. I love that you were talking about how, you know, easy it is to resent the things that you know, come super hard for you. And yet at the same time, you had these amazing gifts and you just sort of chose to turn towards that, which, you know, I, I just think is a great illustration of the often the power of choice we do have in our lives, like where we have things we hate, things we love, and, and we choose which to, which to turn towards. I've studied a lot of yoga. My teacher, my yoga teacher, has she's taken me under her wing, and she's my mentor, actually, and she's given me a mastership in yoga, which I am immensely grateful for. You know, it's not just about the physical. It's about the mental. It's about inside you. Yoga teaches it's a journey, not outside. It's a journey within yourself. And when you go within yourself, you find your answers you're seeking. So in lieu to what we were just talking about, I think that's a perfect correlation. Instead of focusing on the negative, you have to embrace positive. You have to always look towards the positive. And I believe, I truly believe, because it changed my life. I, I mean, I obviously am not perfect. I would get frustrated. I get mad. But when it came down to it, I worked very hard every day to try to focus more on positive each day. I started out having a lot of trouble being positive. I had a lot of trouble. I'll be honest. I started as much as anyone else would. I um, 
it was tough for me. But every day, my yoga teacher, my wife, all my friends and family, they instilled in me positive. Think positive. Be positive. And that changed who I was. It literally changed my whole being. I'm, I'm still me, obviously, but it changed, like, if it makes any sense, it changed how I come off to people, like my aura, my energy, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I have to wonder if even at some molecular level, there's like this change that we can't quantify. Actually, there is. there have been newer studies studying brains that before meditation and being positive, these are literal studies. They're, they're groundbreaking science. And there's, they study the brain before meditation, positive thinking, and years later. And they've actually proven, if not a strong correlation, that the brain structure actually changes to accommodate the new thoughts. Because remember, thoughts manifest, right? If you think about it, you think about something like, say you study for a test, right? test of your life. Say you want to be a lawyer. It's the big lawyer test, whatever they call that in each country. I don't know if this <laughs> the is the bar. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's called that in other countries, <laughs> but, um, you know, and you know, your stuff, say you're brilliant. You're like the top of the class. And, but if you get into your own head and you say, Oh no, you know, I, I don't know. You start questioning everything. You get test anxiety. Everyone gets that. I've gotten that. And all of a sudden you don't do as well. It's because you're tripping yourself up. So there's, actual real correlations to thinking about something and then becoming it. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I used to um, know this guy who was on the Olympic rifle team and they had a guy come in and, and do uh, this exercise where they just visualize themselves shooting better. And then they had some who, some who practice shooting and some who practice visualizing and the visualizers actually do better. Like you actually are practicing it in your brain somehow. I believe it. You you meant you so you did your first two Ironmans without any tri specific training, and you said you used yoga for doing your first two Ironmans. So like, how how did that happen? What is that like? Well, I did very little tri specific training. I did very little biking, not more than one fifty miler. I didn't do really any running. It was like one miles, two miles, three miles. I wasn't feeling very well. You know, I, I was going, I was getting the medicines out of my system. You know, it was detox. It was very intense. I, I can't begin to explain how hard that was. But, um, you know, to the point, I mean, um, I did just gentle yoga. But what that did was it prepared my mind. Um, my biochemical nutritionist who has helped me my whole life since I met him five years ago, Dr. Terrence Doolin, He's fantastic. I owe a lot of my success to his believing in me. I mean, I made my own success, but he helped me believe in myself. And he told me that um, when I did those Ironmans, I did them on sheer anxiety and willpower. So I remember when I was in those races, I mean, I couldn't really go the whole time continuously. But what I kept telling myself was, I want this to be my beginning. I want this so bad. I'm going to do this no matter what. And I kept telling myself that and it was very hard, but I did it because I wanted it. And that was really powerful to me. Like I was able to will myself to do something that was hard enough in itself, you know? Yeah. I think that's such an interesting, that was the thing that I, that popped out to me the most, like that I think people want to hear about is, is 
we overlook that, you know, mental, how, how important that mental aspect is. And here you did very little try training and your mind carried you through. The mind is very powerful. Most people, you know, um, they, we're all given challenges in life, I believe. And I believe we're given challenges for a reason. We're not given challenges. Yes, we curse it. We hate it initially, but it's our mountain. It's our challenge. It's our, it's our foil. Like in a good novel, it's, it's the bad guy. It brings you to that point that makes you better than you used to be. If you confront it, like you mentioned before, Robin, about choice. So we have always a path, right? We can choose to shy away from what's in front of us, what we're given, or we can choose to embrace it, accept it, make it who you are, make it your strength. And that's what I chose to do. Yeah, I'm thinking comparing now your road to Ironman with, with my road to Ironman. And it's like, I spend so many hours training, like getting worried, having trouble sleeping, thinking about the bloody race. And suddenly, no, it's just speaking to you and like you barely did a 50 mile on the bike, a couple of miles here, but then it's just about the power of the mind. It's just, wow. I mean, obviously I've spoken with this with people, with my coach, you know, like obviously you need to have some sort of mental um, stamina or determination, but I, I wasn't. I think it's the first time that I actually see like is maybe maybe for you it has been 85 or 90 percent of the reason why you actually managed to finish those races yes i believe you're right so what what got you into it what led you to it what got me iron man to triathlon to into triathlon well like i said i got into running and i ran a lot and i did my first marathon at 18 and I did seven marathons after that. And, you know, I did many of them at like 280, like crazy, very heavy, wow. 300 pounds. Some of them, like I told you, I couldn't regulate my weight. So some of them even did it like 140 pounds. It was both extremes. My body would fluctuate because I was on max doses of like three oh. really powerful stuff. Be honest with you, until I came off of them when I chose naturopathy and a different approach. I didn't even know who the heck I was. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. They were very powerful. My wife says I was like a zombie often. Mm. So I did those marathons and then I wanted to something more of a challenge. And that's why I chose Ironman. I popped into um, a half Ironman, a very difficult one. It was like 5,000 elevation gain on the bike. And I did that one. And that was in 2013. And then I went on the naturopathy and that was a uh, tremendous thing. And then I wasn't really able to train much. Um, the thing was, what's interesting is I did two marathons um, at the start of 2014. No, I did a marathon. I did New York City Marathon 2013. Then 2014, I did a marathon early, early, like, like January. And then after that, we did a new cycle to help me get off the meds more. And I just couldn't train anymore. But when it came down to it, when there was a race, when there was something to conquer, I was able to come to the table and be able to do it. That was the interesting thing. I always found a way. It's crazy. You, you're going through all this. You do, you said you did a couple, you did marathons at different weights on both extremes. And you said that wasn't challenging enough. 
for you. So I mean, I find it, I find it crazy how triathletes gravitate towards the challenge of triathlon, even though they're already going through the challenges that they are going through in life. The reason I chose a more difficult challenge was because when I have something in front of me, if you can think about it, like I'm focusing on, oh man, do this next race. And it takes my mind off the pain, which was beyond excruciating at the time. So in my mind, something harder, something more difficult, that would take my head off the moment, which was very unbearable going off all those meds. So that's the reason I gravitated towards something difficult. If that makes any kind of sense. No, I think that's something that uh, probably a, a, a ton of our humans of triathlon have in them is that desire to seek out something that's that's harder than what they can imagine. Greater you know, for a variety of reasons, not always for your reasons, but sure, of course. Otherwise, why would we all be doing this crazy stuff? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Food for thought. <laughs> At least that's what everybody else asks. Yeah, why are you doing this crazy stuff? So I, I'm really curious about um, how you, you know, how you got into yoga and how you integrate that. Um, just how do you kind of integrate all the different things? I, I really love that you have this sort of, you know, multi-pronged approach to training. I guess you would say holistic um, approach to training and, and sort of your whole life. So can you talk about how you evolved into that? Sure, of course. 2013 was... Uh a big year for me. I made the choice to go off medicine I was on for 17 years of my life. And that was huge because it could have severe health ramifications. My family was concerned about me. My friends were, you know, and I have always been used to people, you know, like not sure, you know, like Kyle, you know, are you sure about this? But I've always believed in trusting my heart. And in that moment, in any moment in my life, that's a definitive moment. Believe it or not, I shut out the outside world. Remember, I said inside journey. And I not necessarily even meditate. I just ask myself, Kyle, this is who you are. What are you going to do here? And I listen to my heart. If you can listen to your heart, you'll always have the right answer. So I listened to my heart in that instance. I didn't know what to do. I wasn't sure if I wanted to marry my wonderful wife. I, you know, like most guys, I was scared, you know? And I, I, Went to the store. I got the ring. I said, I want this girl as part of me for the rest of my life. I love her more than anything. And it was kind of like that created like a snowball of events. Um, and after that happened, after I got engaged to my wife, I met Dr. Terrence Doolin, who my wife had worked for at the time and helped her become a wonderful registered dietitian. He's a brilliant man. And I met him and I sat in front of him and I told him what I wanted to do. And I said to him, you know, like, I know I have, he's like, I hear you have really bad Tourette's Kyle, you know, and I haven't really gotten yeses much in my life up until that point, believe it or not. And I sat in front of him and I said to him, you know, like doc, you know, he's, I hear you can help me. He's like, Kyle, we can help your Tourette's. And remember, this doesn't work for everyone. I was very lucky to have this work. I want to stress that, that this doesn't necessarily work for everyone. And he's, I told him, I don't just want to be cured or help my Tourette's and OCD. I want to become a professional athlete. And I want to gear to win the world title. And I told him that straight out. And he looked at me and he's like, we can do that, Kyle. 
at that point I was coming off medicine. And like I said, I was like a zombie. I started to realize what I wanted to do with my life. And that's kind of like, it hit everyone like a train. Like they're like, where does this come from Kyle? But it's like, you're sleeping your whole life and you wake up and you're like, this is what I want to do with my life. And it didn't make much sense to anybody, but that's what my heart told me I needed to do. So I told my heart to doc, I call him doc. And he said, we can do this. And I never forget that moment because that started the naturopathy. And it was like the first time anyone told me yes, that I barely met. It was beautiful. And after that, shortly after I met my yoga teacher, who's also my aunt. She's like a second mother to me. She's a wonderful person. That's my aunt Janine. And she has a, um, she's a 500 hour certified yoga instructor. She's a master of Reiki. She's awesome. But, um, and then after that shortly, she's so impressive. I mean, I still can't do it the way she does with the yoga. <laughs> you know, she really inspires me just how Zen she is. And she gave me, uh, she gave me a mentorship, you know, a mastership. And, um, I'm still learning. I'm blessed to learn like that. So that created the snowball of yoga. And I was, I remember where it was Thanksgiving and I told her all these things that happened. We're celebrating that my wife and I, now my wife had gotten engaged and I pulled her to the side and I told her, you know, like I'm going off the meds and I think this is crazy, but I mean like, this is what I want to do with my life. And she lit up like the 4th of July and she's like, you're going to come do yoga with me. I'm like, what? <laughs> and she's like, let's do some yoga. It can only help you. I said, oh, I don't want to do yoga. You know, like a lot of guys, you know, I don't want to do yoga. And she said, okay, I'll make a deal with you. You do one session with me. And if you still think it's not cool, you can never do it again. So I said, okay. And I was a little hesitant because I've never really done yoga before. I never really did much flexibility. I mean, I did martial arts growing up. I did Taekwondo and I did karate, but never flexibility like yoga does. So... I went over and I was like, wow, I didn't realize I could give this great of a workout. And she was like, this is my gift to you. And she kind of led me through five years. It was very grueling of going off the medicine, detoxing my body and the yoga became my healing. It became my, um, my center, so to speak. It grounded me. It helped me, like I said, focus away from the pain. And it helped me find myself within myself. And yes, it's about the motions. Yes, it's about the flexibility. It's about staying calm in situations the best you can. But it's more than that. And she taught me every leg, every every breathing. And I, I couldn't be more grateful for that. Because yoga became a fundamental part of my training. So, so far we've covered... Doc gave me, well, the nutrition and the supplementation Doc gave me, like I said before, not really a unique, not really a common scenario, but it was able to cure me. That's not everyone, but it cured me. And then after that, it became my nutrition and supplementation for training. So once I was symptom free, I was able to use his science to its greater ability. So that established my passion for nutrition for hydration. He taught me the ins and outs of chemistry, biochemistry. He didn't have to do that. He took so much time. I'm immensely grateful for him too. And that established the first leg, which is the nutrition and the hydration. 
And yes, and yoga is very immensely important. But if you don't have your nutrition, your hydration down, you can't do anything. So that's the most important limb, which was the chemistry, getting my head in order, getting my body in order, the foundation of who I was. Remember, a building starts on a very powerful foundation if you want to build to the sky. You don't want to build your buildings on sand. So that gave me the foundation. That was the first part. That's where we came up with the first prong. And Janine taught me the second prong, which was the yoga, meditation, the flexibilities. That was the flexibility training. Now, of course, we have um, the three parts of the process, which is the swimming, the biking, the running. Those go without saying. But what the yoga also taught me was the concept that when you do yoga and you really have a good instructor, they teach you. She taught me. This is where your foot goes. But it is there, Anthony. No, it goes here. And she moved it like I swear to God, like a, like a quarter of an inch. But it made a huge difference. It was like, it was comical. Exactly. But it worked. And when I train people, I do that same precision because the body is the ultimate performance engine. We all have Maseratis and Ferraris and we don't even know it because we never tried to unlock it. So yoga taught me how particular and precise everything had to be. Not to obsess about it, but to remember that it's important. That's an important correlation. Because when I overcame my OCD, I had to remember, don't go crazy about it. Just be aware. This is how it needs to be. So through that particular positioning, this has to be here. This is how you do this. I grew to incorporate that exact positioning into weight training. And it wasn't just about that. It was also the balance yoga taught. And also the balance that Doc's program taught. Every meat I ate, every vegetable, I had to do this. It was all about balance. So everything I did up until that point was balance. So when I trained my body, I committed to it. I trained the quads. I also balanced out the hamstrings. I trained the, um, if I did this, I knew this had to be done. If I did the chest, I had to make absolutely certain I did the back complex. So everything's straight and aligned. And it was a science. And that's how the strength training came into play. Because biochemically speaking, the human body, when you get off that bike after 112 miles or 100, whatever it is, (laughs) it becomes strength because you've exhausted your endurance system. That's what a lot of triathletes don't understand. You need strength in your muscles. Ironman is a strength-based sport when it comes down to the grain. And that's why strength is so important. And with the swimming and the biking and the running, those three prongs were created also through the diet and the nutrition, making sure I pace everything, the yoga, making sure that I breathe right on the running, not focus so much on this. And through the flexibility, it taught me all of those things came together in those three tiers. It taught me place your feet here, relax the shoulders here. I should be giving myself cues like a crazy person on the streets. But it doesn't matter because this is my art. This is my beautiful painting. When I run, I'm painting. So it was really phenomenal. And that's how I kind of created my six-prong approach. I'm a firm believer that this approach allows your body to go past what it could normally do. You got flexibility. You got balance. You got hydration. You got nutrition. You got everything correct. How can you possibly go wrong? Because we got the best gift on earth. We got the human body. You know what I mean? So that's what I how I kind of created all that. Oh man, I love this. 
So I'm speechless. You have got to be the most balanced triathlete on earth. <laughs> <laughs> Someone listening to this now, they're inspired to you know take on this six six discipline approach. So how does one start? So you said the nutrition, hydration is the foundation. So what are some key, um, I don't know, tips or some basics that someone should start following? Well, okay. I am an individual, as are you, Swap Neil, as is you, Robin, as is you, Charles. So I teach all of my clients this. You know, if your blood was found on a crime scene, you're in big trouble. Why is that? Because we're all unique. So my diet is very unique. So is my hydration. So is how I approach things. So the six prong has to be unique to you as well as to you and you and you. So I can't tell you what diet works best for you. That's something you have to learn on your own. You got to discover you. But I can tell you, keep an open mind. I see people, I, I remember this vividly. I was um, I was at the first Ironman in 2014. I'm so nervous. And I'm a firm believer before the race, take a week of rest. If you're in balance, your body can handle it, man. And then I remember my wife and I were having some dinner and we saw these people doing the hills the day before. I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, are you crazy? Your poor little body's got to rest, man. And my wife's like, just focus on your own race. That's what everyone tells me. Focus on your own race. But I couldn't believe it because it's like, you're going to do 140.6 miles tomorrow. Can't you, you know, like just rest, let yourself rest, rest. That's my number one tip. Triathletes have an immense problem with letting their body rest. I had to learn this the hard way, you know, I, through my detox and everything, even now, sometimes I don't feel fully well, I'm not fully there a hundred percent. Um, I have to rest and I'm like, Oh, I don't want to rest. But then I think to myself, rest is how the body heals. Muscle tissue repairs, your hormones balance, your muscles grow, everything gets stronger and better. You let yourself rest. That's your healing. So it was kind of, so to speak, forcefully implemented in me through when I wasn't feeling well. I had to rest very often. So the number one tip I would give you is learn to listen to your body. Learn what drives you. Learn what nutrition is best for you. Whether or not you want to figure it out on your own, hire a professional like I did, that's of, of course up to you. But figure it out for yourself. Don't go on some website claiming this is the end all be all for everybody because it can't possibly be because nobody's the same. Everyone, we're all unique, wonderful people. So find what's unique for you and do it, you know, and if a training program feels like you're exhausted, you're falling asleep at your desk at work, your body's like, hey, girl, hey, man, <laughs> let me rest. So people don't see that's what's happening. The body's telling you, dude, hello. Remember me? I need to sleep. I need to rest. Why aren't you giving me enough rest? And people are following these crazy training programs that may be the best thing for them, but they may not necessarily be the best thing for them. I like to think of something called smorgasbord theory. My yoga teacher taught me this. When you go to a buffet, do you eat every single thing that's there? Oh God, we all be like rolling around. No, you see what's good, right? I was like, oh, I see this. I like this. Let me try this. No, no, that tastes like crap. Oh, macaroni and cheese. This is awesome. You know, it's kind of like that. You, you take what you like from the buffet. You read books. You learn. Dr. Doolin told me that he reads so much. He inspires me. It's, it's crazy how fast he reads. But he told me he might read a book on vegetarians or vegans. And, you know, and he said, maybe I'll agree with the whole book, but maybe if I think it's, I don't believe in it or whatever. Um, he said, even if I learn 2% more than what I knew before, 
Even if you don't agree with it, your knowledge has increased. That's how it has to be. You have to approach everything with an open mind, listening to yourself before other people. So I'm not sure about you guys, but I feel like for the past 10 minutes, I've been like a, you know, like a five-year-old kid who's watching a, a puppet show with his mouth open and super focused. <laughs> I think that's how I've been feeling for the past 10, 10 minutes, something like that. I was like, whoa. Well, I think, I don't know, I just, so much of what uh, you're saying, Kyle, it just ties in, I don't know, it ties into so much research that's out there that we're just beginning to understand. I, I mean, I think that the the mystic, people think of yoga and and these things as mystical or old, you know, traditions, and they are, and then now science is bearing them out. You know, I just listened to a, a, a TED talk on nutrition where they were literally talking about people's um, biochemical roots based on, you know, where their people evolved from. And yeah, everybody's diet should be different. So just the advice you're giving to people to, to find what their what is right for them, how much rest, what kind of food is, uh, I think, scientifically spot on, but just intuitively right. I agree. Um, it's really cool how science is starting to figure out, you know, and actually, you know, of course, prove or at least begin to prove all these cool things we're seeing with yoga and with nutrition and all these things, like you said, with the DNA and the ancestry. It's all very phenomenal. And it's really cool to see what I believed in and what I put my heart and soul into. I put my life into this, you know, and it, to bear fruit for me, it's cool to see that other people are actually taking this seriously, researching it, and documenting it now because, of course, it should be documented. So I do have a question um, because it, it kind of went by in passing where you said you are cured of your symptoms. Like, I've literally never heard that from anybody. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more? Um, sure, of course. Before that, I would once again like to preface, I was very lucky it doesn't necessarily mean everyone can have those same results. Just to preface that again, because I don't want people getting misconception. I have some magic bullet. I don't. I got very lucky. I'm very grateful. Hard work got me there. Dis discipline, dedication, and the right people in my life. I would, I would be nothing if it wasn't for the people in my corner supporting me and keeping me strong when I was down. That's truth. So how did I get cured? Now, people would think like, you know, of course, you know, you think like, oh, I take this and then this happens and then oh, all of a sudden no more symptoms. No, it was, um, it was excruciating. It was now remember Ironman is a fantastic sport and it will always be a wonderful achievement that I did these Ironmans and I'm going to do more. I'm going to do great in the sport. I will achieve my goals, but I want to make it noted that the hardest thing I've ever done, hands down, without a doubt, was stick to this process and stick it out. Like, you know, yoga teaches about tapas, which is literal translation in Sanskrit is in the fire. So I had to theoretically, of course, sit in the fire. And yoga says, are you able to sit in the fire, embrace it, endure it for however long you need? whether it be minutes or hours or days or months, even years or decades. And are you able to sit in that fire and be extremely uncomfortable? And then you come out and the fire 
you are ash and you rise from the ashes. That's the concept in yoga. It's like trial by fire. So for five years, it was, I remember, I mean, I don't want to go into the chemical details because that's, it's just too, it's too much. I just want to go on to how I felt, of course. So, um, you know, I remember I couldn't work for a whole year. I was like, I was in and out of jobs because I wasn't well. I remember I was like, it must be how like a cancer patient might feel. I mean, I don't know how that feels, but I do know that I was like unable to do things a lot of days. I was on the, my floor screaming in excruciating pain how I felt. I mean, I was on max doses of meds my whole life almost. And, you know, then I was safely taken off of it, but it's not like it's going to be a walk in the park. So the first year it was about just getting through it. You know, my wife is the best person on earth to me because she supported me when I was at my weakest and that's powerful, you know? And the second year was about, you know, getting my systems in order. The second year, basically, so each year I would see slow improvements. And I remember my yoga teacher would always say, you know, stay in the moment, focus on what's positive. Every single time we did yoga, I was in so much pain. I'm like, this isn't fair. And she ingrained it into me. She was like, stay in the moment. You know, you're doing the best you can. Don't be hard on yourself. And that's why I'm so positive now. It's because... Everyone around me, Dr. Doolin, you know, Courtney, my yoga teacher, Aunt Janine, they all kept saying, stay with it. You know, you're doing great. And, you know, I would have all these symptoms, the Tourette's, like I would have like outbursts. And I remember when I would watch a movie or something, I would rock like uncontrollably. And the first thing I noticed was the rocking the first year, I barely rocked anymore. The second year I was sitting still watching a movie. Um, the Tourette's went away about two years in, I believe. Um, and I just stopped noticing that I was doing it. It wasn't like one day it's like, oh, happy days. This is here. No, it was like, it was slowly and arduously. Think about it like this. You have an onion, right? A big fat plump onion and you're cooking your wife or your husband a wonderful dinner, right? And now of course you cut and you see all the layers on the inside of the onion. So now think about if you had to peel all of those individual layers and how excruciatingly just meticulous that would be, that's what it was like. There were layer after layer after layer. And it like, I feel like it would break me each time. I was like, I, I can't take this anymore. But each time I had the support of wonderful people and I stuck to it. And I'm like, no, I can't give up. I've come too far. Look, I don't have, I don't have outbursts anymore. I, I don't have this anymore. And the biggest changes, and this was huge, was about three and a half years in. I remember my brain started coming through. And you mean like, no, what, what do you mean? I mean, um, I'll give you an example. Like I was talking to a client and everyone that was close to me would say I wouldn't hear them. I wouldn't process things fully. I was working with a small percentage of my brain's capacity because all of my energy in my body was used to heal me. You have to think of your energy as like a dollar bill throughout the day. And you only have so much. So I would do these races. I only have like 10 cents out of the dollar to spend because everything else was going to heal me. So it was hard for me to focus and do all these things to preface this. My client, we were talking, we're very close. We're friends now. And what happened was we were talking and he said the story and he actually ended up repeating the story. And I heard two different stories. I said, wait, did you just say it this way? He's like, no, I said it the second way. And I realized my brain was now able 
to hear the world around me and experience it for what it really was. And that was a groundbreaking moment like that. From that point forward, I remember it was just like lights on a Christmas tree. It was like this happened and this happened and this happened. It was like, you know, I was Humpty Dumpty and they couldn't put me back together again. But I walked off and said, heck, I'm going to do this no matter what. And slowly but surely, it took years and years, but I put myself back together again. And that, that was so powerful. And now just, it made, you know what it is? I, I hated the process. I hated it so much. Not because it wasn't helping me. It was because it was just suffering. It was horrible. But what it did for me was it made me appreciate what I have now. Like when I read a book, I really appreciate that my brain's, visualizing everything in the book. I love Jack Reacher. I love those novels. They're my favorite. <laughs> and I see all those action scenes. I genuinely appreciate every second of the day, every nanosecond that I'm thinking because, you know, every, everyone takes it for granted, right? You know, like, oh, you come out, you pop out of the womb, you start thinking. It wasn't like that for me because my disabilities were so bad. It affected my thinking. It affected my body's function. So I had to earn it. And it's like, well, here's a normally thinking brain, Kyle. There you go. And it's like, it was the best thing on earth. Like no present, no anything could be as great as that was for me. And then my body coming through, like I would always like tell my wife, I'm like, I got back from a run. I'm like, I can't run fast. I don't understand what's going on. She's like, Kyle, your body's healing. You know, and now I'm like on the treadmill sprinting at 10 miles an hour. Like it's nothing, you know, and I'm seeing the fruits of my labor come through. My yoga teacher would say, there's a reason your body's not able to do this right now. Have patience. Years and years hearing the same thing. Like, oh, come on. But eventually things started coming through. And Doc would say the same thing. Kyle, I helped you because I believed you could do this. I believe you can get to be a professional athlete. I believe you have what it takes with everything. And these people believed in me and they supported me. And I started believing in myself. And this moment in my life is the best moment. I mean, it's like, I have my body, I have my mind and I'm able to use it. And it's like, the, I can't even explain how awesome it is. And so through this, I'm grateful for the process because it, it made me who I was. You sat through the fire. <laughs> exactly. And it was like, I didn't think I could do it many times, but I did it. And now it's like, it's like a miracle how fast I can run, how innately everything comes. Like, it's like, I can really appreciate it when I can now rise in the ranks and get to the world stage and win. And I know that sounds crazy, but at the same time, what was more crazy for me was healing something, a brain and a body. That should have been impossible. And I did it. So to me, my world conquest is a goal because I did the impossible already. So you see, remember we were talking about perspective. It changed my mind to understand if I believe I can do something, I can do it. And if there's one thing I want everyone in the world that can take away from this podcast, it's that if you believe in something and you follow your heart, you can do it. And do the work. I mean, you did a lot of work. <laughs> I worked my ass off. Wow. I think we're all just sitting here just, wow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so how far away do you think you are from getting to Kona? Because that, you know, that's, an ambitious goal that you've got there. So what's the journey been like and how far do you think you are? I need sponsorship. I, um, I can't afford the races, um, that 
you know, the full Iron Man's so was like $800 a pop and this airfare, whatever is this. And, um, I spent most of my paycheck actually goes to my supplementation and this to get, had got me better over the years. So I have to save money, you know, I want a future, you know, so I, I can't afford the races on my own. So I'm seeking sponsorship, you know, anyone out there, I'm seeking sponsorship to get me into a race. That's the first step. I have the gift. I need support. So that's, that's a big thing. And, um, the second thing is actually, I would like to say as well, I was just featured in USA team magazine and I was in the summer feature and a very similar story to what we spoke of here. And it's a great article. And if anyone has those magazines, check me out. I think it's page 38, 39 spread. Um, that's the same thing. It's my story in a nutshell. You got some great pictures. Yeah. So in short, with your answer, how to get to Kona, how close am I? My answer is, I don't know. I mean, my training's going fantastic, but if I don't have the right backing, I can't get into a race. I can't, you know, I just, it's not financially feasible for me. But I think, honestly, if I have the right sponsorship, I believe that next year will be my year. That's what I believe. Now, I'm no pessimist, but I want to hear your answer to this. What if you don't attain that goal? Keep trying, right? Isn't that what life's all about? Mm-hmm. Yep. So if I don't succeed, I keep trying. It's as simple as that. I already went through something that pushed me to my brink. So if I just finish Kona and get a medal, that's fantastic. I'm happy with that. You know what I mean? I have an experience. And I think you've proved you can be patient. I'm a very patient person. <laughs> I would say that much is evident. All right, then. So what's, uh, what's the message you want people listening to take away from your story? I want you to follow your heart in life. No matter how crazy it feels, no matter if everybody around you tells you you're nuts, man, you're nuts, lady, you know, I want you to listen to your heart. I want you to listen to what you believe. What do you believe? I want you to close your eyes, get into a dark room, do some soul seeking, see what's in your heart. And as crazy as that feels, if it feels like that's what you want to do with your life, what you got to do is you have to get yourself up. And you have to go try to pursue it. You know, we only have now, we only have this life. And I believe a lot of people are afraid to do what they really love. And I, it's scary. Trust me, for me to say my ambitions on this podcast was very difficult, you know, because people will obviously, oh, he's crazy. I haven't even heard of him before, but that's what I'm talking about. That's what I believe. If it's in my heart, that's what I'm following. That's what I preach. So I have to practice it, of course. So follow your heart. Do whatever it is that makes you happy. Find that thing that makes you happy. And I want you to do that thing. And I want you to go nuts with it. Think of some great goal with that thing that makes you have joy in your heart, that makes you feel love for what you're doing. And I want you to pursue it and not let friends or even family talk you up and say, Ma, Ma, Dad, I got this. I'm a big boy. You know, and say, just go out and get it. And if you fail, see, there's no failing. There's no such thing as failing. As long as you get up and keep trying, if you have the heart and you have the passion and you're willing to put in the work, you will succeed. Mark my words, you will succeed because that's just all it is to it. Our thoughts become us. That's all I have to say about that. Find what it is you love 
do that thing and never give up until you succeed. And you'll never, you'll never be able to thank yourself enough for that. Boom. Yeah, that's the message we all need to hear. I believe the world needs that. I believe the world needs to believe in who they are individually and pursue it. Just do what makes you happy. The world would be a better place if people were just happy. Love each other. You have to love yourself and what you're doing with your life before you can love other people. All you need is love, man. The John and Paul, they said it straight. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we come to an end of the episode, um, are there any, you've mentioned a few people already, but are there any more people you'd like to give a shout out to? I wanted to thank my uncle Chris as well for being there for me when things were rough. I want to thank my cousins for being for, there for me when things were rough. I want to thank my father once again. Dad, I looked up to you, and now you can look up to me. I know you do. You're proud of me, and that makes me so very happy. I want to thank my wife more than anything in this world. If I didn't meet her, I don't know where I'd be because she's my rock. She's everything to me. Courtney, I know when you hear this, you're going to appreciate this. And that's it. I mean, I believe I gave credit where credit was due. That's all I have for now. All right. Our last Thank question. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Charles and Robin and Swap Neil, for taking the time out of your busy day to give me my voice. It's been a Thank pleasure, you. Kyle. No, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm already thinking about getting you on a second time for some more. Um, <laughs> you know, you have so much passion and knowledge and wisdom and I just want to dig into that a little more. Maybe we'll definitely want to get you on again sometimes. I will be up for it whenever you I want. think we almost need like a, a user Q&A one. Sure, sure. A, a follower Q&A because I bet people have so many more questions. Sure. I'd be more than happy to partake in that. I am very grateful for this opportunity and any others you may give me. And Swap, you had a final question, correct? What was that? Yes, that is why do you try? Ah, here we go. I knew we were missing something. (laughs) Now, why do I try? When I am training, racing, and pushing myself, and I'm pushing beyond my limits, I feel alive. There's no place I feel more alive than when I'm pushing myself to get to the next goal with triathlon, Ironman, anything. I feel alive. It makes me feel like I'm who I am. I feel like that's what I was born to do. And I feel like that makes me who I am. I feel whole. Like when an artist paints with his paintbrush, there's no other place he wishes to be. That's the place I love to be. And I believe that trying, TRIing, of course, now I alluded to books, I love reading. In any good novel, you have a perfect antagonist, a perfect foil, right? Like they push the uh, protagonist to their absolute limit. Or there's they get their girl and they threaten them or whatever it is, whatever story you want to think of. They push them to a place that they couldn't go before. And only with that outside force coming in and drawing it out of you, are you able to become greater than what you were before? So the answer to the question fully, why I try, is Iron Man is my story. Each race I finish is a page turn. It's a chapter in my book. And each race teaches me more about myself. Like I said, it's not about the race. It's about what I learn within myself. It's about the journey, not the destination. That's hanging in about like three different places in my house, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) So what happened here is 
I believe in my quest to become a professional triathlete and how it pushes me. I do it because I believe everybody in this world has a spark within them. And I believe, like I was saying before, if you follow your heart, that spark will ignite. So what I'm trying to do, what I will do here is why I try is I love it so much. There will come a point where that spark in me will ignite and I will be the best I can be. So triathlon is the most difficult one day event on earth. Of course, the Tour de France is the most difficult event long stage, but I like Ironman. So I chose that to pull it out of me, that strength, that spark, that ignition and wake me. And I believe I'll be stronger for it. I believe on this journey, it will make me stronger in who I was meant to be. I believe triathlon is that, it's not an antagonist, but it's like a rival, like a foil. It's my mountain to climb, so to speak. That's why I try. It sounded like a poem. The way you articulate things are so amazing. I mean, yeah, I just love it. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. It means a lot to me. All right. Thank you so much, Kyle, for coming on. This was this was amazing. Thank you so much, Swapneil, for having me. Thank you, Robin, and thank you, Charles, for um, helping me as well. Charles, that was a sick intro. I just wanted to say, you got the gift, man. You're awesome. And <laughs> You're Robin, welcome. thank you. You ask great questions. Thank you a lot for listening, everyone. I don't know about you, but I came out of that conversation totally inspired by the man. Uh, you can find him at Kyle Hagman Try on Instagram. And I, I mean, just the way he, the passion with which he speaks and the way he articulates things, it just resonates with me. So, Kyle, I, I'm a fan. And yeah, if, like he mentioned, if anyone's open or has any opportunities of sponsorships or such, do reach out to him and support his dream of racing professionally in Kona. And remember, if you do see him race professionally at Kona, you heard it here first on the Hot Podcast. Anyways, so make sure to subscribe if you haven't done so already to not miss out on any future episodes. And head on over to our Instagram page at Humans of Triathlon and just drop a comment in our post about the podcast and let us know what you thought of it. And it would also mean a lot if you could leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us out a lot and would be very much appreciated. And yeah, that's that's it from us for this week. And we will be back next week f- with another guest and another amazing story. So make sure to tune in. And till then, keep trying. <laughs>